Today on Cinema Yugen, I'm honoured to have with me award-winning independent filmmaker and screenwriter Damien K. Leahy. His independent feature, Simple Like Silver, is a personal favourite of mine. Damien, welcome to Cinema Yugen. Well, thanks a lot, Ken. And uh, it's um, it's good to... Uh, we've been ping-ponging back and forth in the social media uh, sphere for quite some time now. And... Uh, so it's good because I've actually, you know, I've listened to over the years, I've listened to a few of your interviews. Right. Yeah. You know, and uh, so to be a guest on your show is, uh, you know, I mean, it's an honor. It's fun. And it's good to catch up with another cinemaniac. You know, mm-hmm. here's a funny, uh, here's a funny story for you, Kent, is that right now I was supposed to be in Maui this month. Wow. So check it out. I have best friends from high school, right? Right. And they've lived in Maui like forever. They got a restaurant out there and they have been begging me to go and visit them for like 15 years. And uh, I I had wrapped up a a contract. I was teaching at an an art school um, and... I, I, I let them know. I was like, hey, I let them know back in May. I was like, hey, you know, I'm going to go visit my uh, parents in Florida for a couple of months during the summer. Right. And, um, you know, I'll finally be ready to rock and roll with you guys in Maui for the month of August. You know, we'll finally hang out. I'll get some writing done. Right. So they're their like lines of communication got like completely crossed. Like they wound up completely flaking and then it was like too late for me to just like order tickets. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like one of them wasn't even going to be in Maui in August. I mean, it just got really weird. And so, you know, it all kind of fell apart, but right. it turns out that I dodged a massive bullet because I was supposed to be in Maui on, I mean, the original plan was that I, I was going to be there at the beginning of the month of August. Right. So as as you know in this business, you know from being in the business, you're like a you know a screenwriter yourself and a filmmaker, and you know that it's very rare to have people flake on you, and it turns out in your favor. That's true. That's true. So this is <laughs> this is one of those rare instances where people flaking on me actually had a um, had a positive impact. Right, because yeah. uh, the, the last place that I'd like to be, you know, that I'd want to be right now is Maui. Yes, indeed, indeed. Hey, that brings to mind. Have you seen that documentary Escapes about um, about old mate who wrote Blade Runner? What's his name? Hampton. Oh, oh, oh! Hampton. I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking Oops. about now. Have you seen that one? No, I have not seen that one. But you're not the first person to have brought that up. I have, um, God, I was just talking about Blade Runner 2049 earlier to today. You know, I just actually, Ken, an hour ago, no, I mean, like earlier in the afternoon, for the first time, I watched the um, David Fincher cut of uh, Alien 3 for the Ah, first time. Yeah. And I couldn't, 
I, I, I honestly don't know why I've, I put it off because when it was originally released, I was one of the kind of like rare defenders of that film. Yeah. And I even when I was in high school, I shaved my head right. like based on Sigourney Weaver's look in that like that was kind of like a hip thing for, a, a you know, been a little bit. Sure. Um, and the have have you seen that the director's could have been Alien 3? I have indeed. Yes. Yes. I mean, it is. It is a, a completely different movie. It is very much so. Yeah. I mean, it. um it definitely corrects some of the issues that the theatrical version had. Yes. I think, I think ultimately, I mean, look, even when you have like the, the like Fincher approved version, yeah. like I, I feel that the, and look, you know, there's been a lot written about that film, the production, the nightmares, et cetera, et cetera. But um, so who knows who was telling, who, who was given the marching orders. Yeah. But but that script isn't all that hot. No. Um, I mean, there's a lot it's, of it's a pastiche, isn't it? I mean, it, Vincent yeah, Ward, yeah. I mean, it's a pastiche of 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 what something that Vincent Ward started, and and God knows who else. Uh, you know, David Guyler and all them. You know, they all had their fingers in the pies. Look, I didn't hate. I didn't hate Alien Three when it came out. I thought that the the only thing that I thought that was was jarring perhaps was how quickly they just got rid of 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 michael bean and um and well thank you thank you that's that's where i was gonna go next is that you know the way they just write those characters out of the whole thing is so cheap and chintzy and just feels so like so sequely yeah if that's even a word yeah. and then um like that doesn't that doesn't work like work like that really and there's also a lot of repetitive dialogue that seems to be trying to explain the wonky logistics of the whole thing throughout the movie i'm 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 talking about the the director's cut yes now yeah. and that really that like prevents it from soaring I think those two things really um, hold it back. But I, I, I will say this: the the director's cut is certainly a is certainly a better movie. Yes. But um, I and I, I just want to point out that the the concept, like of of Ripley landing on a planet that's a you know a colony of convicts. Yeah is a really it's a really unique concept but it also does something that i think a lot of people overlook and what mars like prometheus or alien covenant is the fact that it's established that all of these characters yeah. have little to no formal men, men, men education and they're violent mentally unhinged criminals right. which which helps the stupidity of some of the decision making go down right easy so like when you get into things like prometheus and alien covenant and you have all these characters that are like at the top of their field as doctors and scientists and they're just 
acting like you know characters out of like Friday the Thirteenth Part Five. Yeah, like it it doesn't work. No. You know what I mean? No, I mean, uh, and it's like uh, the the sad sort of the, always the sad part for me is when when I learned about it anyway, and um, I think it was my sister actually. Uh, the year it came out, that uh, uh, DVD, the, the Alien Quadrilogy, that had all these uh, hours and hours and hours and hours right. of uh, Lazurka's uh, behind-the-scenes, methodical behind-the-scenes stuff. And uh, it was definitely a just a wealth of, of information. And Vincent Ward's... Uh, concept I thought was so enthralling so enthralling it was um, I, I couldn't believe that basically the making of Alien 3 was the decimation of a really really unique science fiction film that that initially they you know they saw as a great concept and then in trying to um, <laughs> for lack of a better word embed an alien film into it um, it became, you know, it became what it became, and then it becomes, uh, you know, one of those films that's forever tinkered with till the end of time, and and there's different versions until they finally say this is the definitive. No, I certainly, I certainly agree with that. I certainly agree with that. And uh, the reason I was, uh, the reason I've been watching those is actually for a, a project that I'm working on right now. It's kind of homework. Have Have you seen Derelict? Derelict. Derelict is the alien, the Prometheus mash cut. Okay, no, no. Oh, oh my gosh! This is okay. Um, so dare so derelict. Right. Uh, somebody went ahead and they made one big movie, and right. it's alien is in the present and then prometheus is in the past right and it does it in black and white and it uses footage from you know the you know from deleted scenes and all sorts of stuff in it but right. that's probably that's one of my favorite alien things and one of the best um one of the best uh how do i put it I, you know, look, Ridley Scott's a great director and everything, but I think everybody can agree that there's a little bit of, there's something off about those prequel alien movies he did. And um, I think that the way that they use the Prometheus footage in Derelict is great. Once we get off this, uh, this interview, I, I'll actually go ahead and send you, I've got the link to that. One of my students actually found it for me. Okay, cool. I look forward. Yeah. Yeah. To you will, you you will love that. Sounds awesome. Sounds awesome. Though, too, does uh, the trailer for your new film, Pillars? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, Pillars of Lost Futures. And, and yeah, that, that is a, um, that is a Werner Herzog. You had mentioned that. That is a Werner Herzog style uh, documentary thing. I love Herzog. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is, uh, he's awesome. I mean, he's he's one of those forces of nature, you know. Um, I cannot hear so, what you say for the thunder of what you are. Right, and have you seen um, what was the? Uh, I really like the um, 
I like the Casper Houses. Have you seen that Casper Houses? Oh yeah, the Enigma of Casper Houses. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that movie is uh, that movie is just awesome, and I didn't know that 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 cat, the guy that played the lead, was like a is like a real life but just like mental patient. Yeah, yeah. I actually, uh, I actually had the good fortune before he passed to interview uh, Hugh Keysburn, who is probably most famous to listeners as being the Immortum Joe in Fury Road. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that interview. I remember that. But he was he was actually one of the few guys I knew that actually worked with Herzog on a, uh, a film he made here in Australia called Where the Green Ants Dream. Have you seen that one? No, no, I haven't seen that one. Yeah. I think they've, I think they've actually gone ahead and re-released all of his films on uh, Blu-ray way back when there was um, – uh, there was a there were the whole series, all of these documentaries and short films were put out on a really great set, and I think they've re-released that, um, which includes uh, all of those films and short films and uh, documentaries. But uh, Herzog- wow, you know, it, it's funny you mentioned that. I was at a I was at a uh, film festival um, years back for for something that I was you know, schlepping around the circuit and they did, they, they screened some of, some of his more rare short documentaries, um, like, uh, the woodcarver Kaiser and, uh, um, how, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck was also, uh, screened. And, um, I guess, I guess Werner Herzog just had something where he was getting, um, financing like grants from the government to do these little documentaries because they were all made for like German television, correct? Yeah, yeah, most of them, yeah, yeah. So, um, but I, 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 you know, it's it's tough doing it's tough doing these things. It's not easy, and you know, I I read an interview. It was actually kind of heartening. I read an interview with an editor that worked on a couple of uh, Werner Herzog's more recent documentaries, right? And he said a couple of them, it was just like, like it was rough. Like they had like no money right. to like, to even like pay themselves hardly, you know? And, um, I can imagine. but I, but yeah, Pillars of Lost Futures is a, uh, is a Werner Herzog style documentary project uh, that we did in Tunisia, uh, shot in Tunisia last year. Um, yeah, look, uh, Saif, uh, you know, was Slati and uh, Gada and Miriam, and of course, Super Mags Piper, um, who made who made it happen. Um, it was a great experience, and so um, I'm really excited about it. And it's one of those things where it was like a bucket list project, yeah. and. I got to uh, look. I'm not a big. Um, I don't go to conventions, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm not a. I'm not a con person. I don't go to cons. I don't. And I and and look, nothing against, nothing against them. That that's just not my style. Right. right. But so the fanboy thing is something that I, I don't do often. But I will say this, you know, going to Tunisia and sitting in the same Coliseum where they filmed a bunch of Monty Python's Life of Brian was definitely yeah. like a highlight of my independent film career. I'm such a huge Monty Python fan. Yeah. 
and uh, that 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 was awesome. So was my wife. My wife is massive uh, meaning of life. It's probably her favorite uh, meaning of life. And um, well, I actually watched. Have you seen the Monty Python documentary that's available on Netflix? I have. Yes. Yes. Very good. Very good. Yeah, it's very good. I actually just watched that for the first time um like two weeks ago because i kind of went through a phase like i've got all the books and i've got all the stuff but i kind of went through that big phase when i was in high school and you know over the years i kind of i guess for lack of a better word i was a little burnt out on monty python for a little bit even though their 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 influence is always there but um but no, that that documentary uh, series was 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 really good. So uh, so yeah, so Pillars of Lost Futures right now, um, I'm we're cutting that together slowly but surely, um, collecting all the footage, and uh, that's just one of those things that I'm chiseling away at while I'm working on you know of other projects. And uh, feature length, you know, screenwriting stuff like like you, you know, obviously there's a lot of drama with the strikes and all that going on now. Yeah. Oh, look, it's um, sometimes it feels like a, a Sisyphean endeavor, doesn't it? Well, here's here's the situation, Ken, is that I I was lucky in that I made a decision that while I had, you know, spec scripts floating around and things like that, that I was, I I was also going to be uh, making films, making shorts, making features, like very small features, but I was always going to be doing that at the same time. And it didn't occur to me how, how that would pay off for me. And when I say pay, when, when I say payoff, I don't mean financially. I mean in terms of uh, psychological wealth, which is the best kind of wealth. Yeah. Because, you know, even if you have... Stuff that dreams are made of. Well, even if you... Yeah, yeah, but even if you... Look, even if you... I mean, 97% of all spec scripts that get that get you know run up the flagpole are still not going to get made so you know and you you can't have an imdb page that's that's barren you know (laughs) like i mean there's a few guys there there's a there's a handful of guys i mean it's dwindling but there's a handful of guys out in la that just do like polishes and you know you know script doctoring here and there to pay the bills you know, um, but for the most part, like if you don't like if you're just beholden to other people producing your scripts as a screenwriter, it's like you're going to be a, you're going to be not very happy. And so sure. when I look at a lot of my peers in the business yes. that that don't believe in making anything Right. themselves like not even a two minute short film like they're not going to do anything except write scripts right they're all incredibly bitter people it's true so 
so because I have this like secondary thing where I'm also always creating different things and I'm always trying to do different things. And I, you know, I, I take things out on the festival circuit sometimes and I, I, I do all of that. It keeps me from ever getting too hung up about where the screenwriting stuff goes. Cause you know what, Ken, I know where it's going to go. Yeah. It's going to go nowhere. True. You know what I mean, and I've and been, that's I've been on, I've been on a, a on a on a similar journey to nowhere over this last year actually. So yeah, I know uh, I know all too I, well the pitfalls and the perils of trying to peddle your bloody scribble to people who don't really want it. <laughs> well, well, I mean, it works. It works a um, it works that way, and then even when they do want it, they don't do anything with it. Yeah. So, so the way that, so what, what wound up happening is that by always having this independent product out there, yeah. or let me just say product independent of the, the, the screenwriting spec stuff that I do, Sure. you know, by having that kind of secondary parallel or, you know, kind of second career almost, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's it's made me feel a lot better about things, you know, and uh, look, you know, I don't, you know, I always work too, like for the most part, like I, you know, I have jobs that I do, you know what I mean? Whether it's, whether it's teaching or, you know, whatever, I'm always, you know, working and doing things to keep these things, to keep the, the momentum going and keeping, you know, the bills paid and, and, and things like that. Cause as you know, it's a, it's a whole nother story. If you're not, you know, well, from a very there's, affluent there's, environment. There's, there's the work we do in the real world, the R E L world. And then there's the work we have to do in the R E A L world. Right. No, no, no. That's very true. That's a good way of putting it. Kent. That's a good way of putting it. And, and you know, you know, that, I mean, from, you know, and I've listened to a lot of your interviews, right? And one of my favorites was the one you uh, did with the uh, director, writer of Shoot 'em Up. Oh, Michael Dave. Yeah, yeah, that was a great interview. And that's a, that, that's a, that's an awesome movie that, you know, it, I, I thought it was great listening to the interview with him because it is a forgotten movie. And I don't know why that movie's forgotten. I don't know why it doesn't get a lot of play. And um, part of me thinks it is because, Clive Owen did a number of other like kind of middling films that disappeared and then he kind of aged out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, like Clive Owen did like, you know, chill children of men. Yeah. And then he did four other like adult thrillers or adult dramas and they all kind of flopped. Yeah. I like that. So, one. I like that one closer. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. I mean, closer, but that was like an ensemble piece. You know what I mean? Uh, he and um, but I, I enjoyed. I really liked that interview, and you know, he was kind of walking you through a lot of the stories that everybody has that I have. That all the writers that are writing stories about why they're striking are going through. Right. You know what I mean, and. So, you know, everybody's kind of 
you know, uh, except for the guys that are, you know, that get seven figures just for walking in the door, you know, aside from those few guys, like everybody, everybody else is at the mercy of a, you know, of a ruling class that just doesn't want to pay. And, um, you know, I recently, and you, you know, it's dirty, been. Do you feel dirty sometimes asking for? Money? Um, say that again. I said, do you feel dirty sometimes asking for more money? You know, when they say, "Oh, we can afford to pay you this," and you go, "Well," I mean, I'm glad. Look, I have a story for you, and um, it's great because all these stories have been coming out by writers. You know, during this strike, and you know, I had a, I had a. I had a producer, I put that in air quotes, right. that, you know, multimillionaire, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, goes to Cannes every year, even though doesn't have any projects, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah. long, long story short is that she wanted, she was interested in this project right. of mine, and I wrote it for her, right. and then... She wanted to know if the if if the cast and crew for the film would accept payment in experimental crypto tokens. Oh my god! I think we might have run into the same woman at some point, unless she's got and, a sister. Uh, unless what? Unless she's got a sister. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't want to say any names on uh, okay. on the podcast here, but um, but you know what? But that's it. But that's you know when I tell people that story, yeah. they think they think that's crazy until I tell them no, that's the norm. Yeah, like they don't want to pay. Like I asked this woman, but I was like, "Did you pay for your uh, five star hotel at Cannes with experimental crypto <laughs> tokens?" Yeah, probably not. You know what I mean? And and look, they'll they'll let a project die on, on the vine than before coming off anything, before coming off a nickel. Yeah. Because for them it's a it's it, it's a game and within their circle, you know, as many of these writers have, have attested to in these articles, and I'm sure you've experienced the same thing as as a writer. Like I mean, amongst their their circle of like, you know, of elite, whatever, they don't believe like it. They think it's beneath them to have to pay for that. Like they, they should get everything for free because that's what their class should get. You know, my friend, Maddie Greenberg, who wrote to rain of fire in uh, 1408, he, he posted something early on in the strike. Um, because he's been out there on, on the picket lines and he posted something early in on the strike. Um, that uh, and I'm paraphrasing it here a little bit, but uh, talking about there was there was an article I was talking about all the 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 free writing that you have to do to get the job, and I thought you know that's you know because you you go in you go into some of these people and you sell a concept, and you may or may not have a draft if you're if you're a, a William Castle character like me, I always pitch ideas that I haven't got written and then go away at 100 miles an hour, buy myself a couple of days and go write it and then turn up on Monday with the script. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's my style because I can I can write scripts really fast. But um, 
it's uh, it's uh, it's a minefield, um, and you do sometimes uh, when you when you engage in these things end up writing you know multiple drafts and get you know led up the garden path and then eventually find there's there's no tea and Bicky's waiting for you at the end of the at the end of the day. You are absolutely correct. Now, is that Matthew Greenberg you were talking about? Yeah, Matthew Greenberg. Oh, yeah, 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 man. I'm friends with him on Facebook too, man. He posts some good stuff. And um, I think I might have saw that article. Um, Did you you read the article um, by the woman? And you know what? I'm actually – I started this mini-series. Right. Um, because I read the article, but a woman wrote an article about how she was on welfare. Right. The screenwriter who was yeah. on welfare, even though she had like a a yeah. big show on Hulu. Yeah. Yes, I do. I do recall it. Yes. Yes, think- yes, but I I actually started her show over the uh, weekend. It's a four part mini series. Okay. And um um. Unfortunately, I don't recall the name of it right now. So, sorry about that. <laughs> but I mean, it's a look. It's 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 a reality. Uh, the rod has always been the bottom of the totem pole, um, and I, I I just I've never been cool with having to to fight for my credit or beg for my wages. Why should I have to? I've sat and done the I do the hard yards. I'm the one that sits up nights, you know, typing in the dark while they're sleeping soundly or laying next to their trophy wife and their sixteen manicured dogs. Right, right. And 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 you know, that's the that's the that's the that's the truth of it. You know, I've had I've had, you know, screenwriting assignments where I've been you know, I've been waiting on getting paid while they've been like, you know, posting all over social media about their five star luxury vacation in Greece, then Hawaii, then, you know, Paris, Spain, whatever, yeah. you know, and they're not going to read the draft I turned in and pay me until after they've spent, you know, 25 times what they're going to be paying me, you know, on vacations for four months. Like everybody's got that story. And that's why I think it's important, the the strike and for, you know, when you're talking to like young people wanting to get in the trade, you're talking about this or you're talking about that. Hmm. Is that, you know, is that the, the, the minefields, are absolutely like ridiculous. It's like the Gallipoli of like the 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 film industry is being a screenwriter and trying to get this stuff through. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, look, yeah. I look. Don't think. Don't think every time that I, as I say to to young folks who ask me, I say, well, it is like that last scene, and you're Archie, right? And you're gonna. How fast are you gonna run? Right, your legs are steel springs, but how fast are you going to run? Fast as a right, right. Because if you don't run fast and go fast, you got you got ten other people 
you got a hundred other people that are ten times more passionate than you are, that are ten times more committed than you are, that are a hundred times more obsessed than you are, and you've got to be more obsessed than all of them and crazier than all of them, and that's how you do it. Right, right. I mean, I I think that's that. There's a lot to that. I I agree. Um, I I believe that there is a Look, you have to find a way to make the game win- make the game winnable for you, which is what I have done, right? So, you know, when I look at all the find, bucket, you have to find you have to find a niche. You have to find what tool that you have that some people don't have. Um, you know, for me, like honestly, like a big survival tool that I've had for a long time is just speed. That's all. And I'm not even a fast. Right. I'm not. I'm not even a fast typist, but I can come up with shit like it's no one's business. You heard right. You've heard Woody Allen on on Robert Whitey's documentary, where he says I have. Where he told Dick Cavett that he has endless ideas for movies. Well, I got that beat. Right. I mean, I I think that having a cache of ideas, especially when you're more, because you're you're more of a. Um, like you're in the screenwriting trade exclusively, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, you have you have people that you like pitch to, and like I don't, like I don't really, I don't really have that. Right. Like I get, um, like when I write when I write specs and I do stuff like that. When I write a spec script or I write a screenplay, it's either something that I'm going to do myself, or it's something that I really really want to do. Um, it's a story that I really, really want to tell. And I have some connections that can do either this or that with it. Right. Um, so I don't do, I don't do a lot of blind pitching. Occasionally I have a couple people that work as unofficial agents for me that, that, that get me gigs right. here and there. Um, so, but it's not something that I'm, I proactively get out there and, and search out like screenwriting assignments. So like sometimes I, I'll do some polishes. Um, a lot of times, a lot of times the people that hire me, I get hired by people where it's like, it's like 70% I'm writing them a screenplay. And then 30% of it is I'm also providing them the education on how the business works. Right. Right. Like they're kind of people with a dream and they have a story and they're willing to pay, you know, they're willing to pay a few grand to get the education and get their idea in a screenplay format. And they, they may or may not have connections of financing, right? Like I I get a lot of those. Um, I have done a bunch, you know, I have done stuff on the, uh, on the Hollywood side though. Right. I have done stuff on, on the Hollywood side um you know and those involve good anecdotes you know what i mean like i've worked with 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 people that are of note as it were and you get good you get good anecdotes out of it you can get a couple good paychecks out of it but again ken a lot of times it's like a tree falling in in the middle of, of the forest right you know if it doesn't if it doesn't get on the books it doesn't get on the books exactly and so you, you're kind of left with a cool anecdote. Now, for me, what makes the anecdotes, for me, in order for the anecdotes to have meaning, yeah. 
right? For them to have meaning for me or for them to have meaning to somebody like you or to students. Yeah. Like for in order for those anecdotes of professional screenwriting to have merit, yeah. it 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 the that secondary career I have as an actual active filmmaker, yeah, like like bolsters that, like gives those stories credibility. Like if all I had were those anecdotes and nothing on my IMDb, yeah. right, it would be a whole another story. But I have the anecdotes and I have that secondary career and all these, you know, all these other accomplishments, and exactly. they complement each other. So adventures in the screen trade, often perilous. So William Goldman was right, boys and girls. He was absolutely right. No one knows anything, least of all me. <laughs> right, right. And if you write, uh, if you if you submit a script that's that's written in the format that William Goldman wrote scripts, they would throw it in the garbage can. Yeah. Like if you try to write a script like William Goldman putting in music cues and director's notes and literally like editing the movie in a screenplay, like yeah. you wouldn't even like there's no reader that would ever pass that script up the up the ladder anyway. You know what I mean? That's what I think's ironic about the William Goldman thing. Yeah. Um and look, he's he's awesome. I mean, he's one of the you know, he's one of the giants of the, yeah. you know, of that time. And I, I like his, I like, um, you know, I like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I love The Princess Bride. The Princess Bride is actually my, like, favorite William Goldman thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's my, I mean, what that's he, my favorite. What, what he really brought to to the screenplay, the, the young screenplay, young screenwriters or, or aspiring screenwriters should note that, that just because a, a, a screenplay is, is effectively like a manual for making a, making the movie, um, it doesn't have to be boring to read. And what William Goldman did always so brilliantly is bring the novelist's touch to his storytelling in the screenplay. And that can really help with the flow of your storytelling if, you, if your description is a little bit more than, you know, he goes to the door. Opens. Well, I mean, I mean, there's, there's, like, I want, I want, you know, I guess if if you want to call it a descriptor or a qualifier, yeah, you know, I, I, I never want to personally, I never want to read more more than one qualifier or a descriptor. Right. Um, I, I, I want, I want to, you know, I think out of all the. Out of all the literary formats, right? If you talk about poetry, sure. Talk about poetry, and you talk about uh, stage plays, right? Yeah. And you talk about novels and short stories, yeah. and then you talk about like lyrics and yeah. screenplays. I would say that in terms of, like, I would say that screenplays are the lowest form of that. And I don't, I don't mean it in a derogatory way. What I mean is, is that like the people that write screenplays are not novelists. They're not particularly, they're not poets usually. And when they try to, when they try to write, when I'm reading a, somebody's screenplay, I like to read really crisp in simple and streamlined stage description. 
mm-hmm. maze on scene, right? Um, and then dialogue. Yeah. I, I don't want to read a screenplay that's loaded with a bunch of potpourri, right. like the the screenwriter wants to flex his muscles like he thinks he's Proust. You know what I mean? Or yeah. F. Scott Fitzgerald. You know what I mean? I don't I don't need that when I'm reading a screenplay. And it, for me, it's a turnoff. Right. And I I actually, you know what's funny, Ken? I'm glad you brought this up. Is uh have you had have you read that, that like really cynical, famous uh article by the guy that wrote History of Violence, where he's like, No, I don't want to read your screenplay. Have you read that article by oh, him? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that one. Yeah, I know that. I'm the way told right now. I have read it. Yeah, and I thought that was a really weird article because I, I personally like enjoy reading other people's screenplays when I have time. Hmm. Um, I'm somebody that actually, uh, like, like I'll, I'll read a screenplay. Like when it comes to my own screenplay reading, like I'm reading more scripts that peers give me than if I was to ever like seek out a screenplay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I like like if somebody gives me if somebody shoots me a screenplay to read, I mean, as you know, Ken, like I have a lot of things going on, so I'm I'm busy. So it 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 might take me a month, but it only takes me a couple hours to read somebody's screenplay. And you know, I actually don't mind. Now I know that the the screenwriter of history of violence yeah. um you know when when he was at his hottest of you know being a screenwriter he probably you know had more people offering him scripts right yeah. but when he doesn't have anything going on like he, he's probably not getting that many and I, I i really think that it's a question of of, of preference you know, like I don't know how 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 you feel about it, but when when people shoot me scripts to read, you know, I usually I usually don't mind. Um, I I do get sometimes some stuff that's unprofessionally written, yeah. and I I I have turned down a couple assignments because of the you know what I was handed was was I thought extremely unprofessional and I just wasn't going to deal with it because it would just be too much headache for the money. You know what I mean? Have you ever had any of those? Oh God. Well, I'll I'll tell tell you a story. When (laughs) 20 years ago, when I was starting out, right. I might use names. um, There was a bloke who was in the scrap metal business. He fancied himself an actor. So he went off and he studied acting. Next thing you know, he was going to be a filmmaker. He was going to hire Philip Noyce, and I actually interviewed Philip Noyce. Um, I never got to ask him. So if Phil hears this and he ever wants to do another chat, I should have asked him uh, whether they actually did get Philip Noyce or not. But anyway, uh, at that time here in Queensland, there was a film collective that used to help independent filmmakers. It doesn't exist anymore. It was called QPix. It was the Queensland Film Resource Centre. And it was a place where filmmakers like you and I could go. This is the late 90s, and it was literally a collective of 
cinematographers, actors, editors, screenwriters, you name it. And most people would put their details in the back of the little uh, magazine, if you remember it, QPix, your little magazine. It was full of free classifieds, all people looking to work for experience on short films and whatever. So right, right. One day I get my magazine and there is a ad in there, a big ad for a screenwriter. And, of course, here I am, a young guy at a film school looking to prove myself an action script, looking for a screenwriter. I pick up the phone. I dial the number. I get this chap on the phone. Come in for a meeting, he says. So we go in for a meeting. And he tells me his story. And um, I said, oh, that sounds very interesting. And, you know, um, so, you know, can I have a go? And he says, well, first you've got to prove to me that you can write a script first. And I said, oh, okay. So he gave me part of the story and he says, okay, when you come in, come back on Monday, see how you went. So I went home on the weekend and I wrote about 60 pages of a script. He just wanted me to write a few scenes. But, you know, I, I cram for... I cram for the future. So right, right. I wrote 60 pages of a script and I knew the whole thing was in trouble when I handed him that script and he opened the first couple of pages and then he flicked through the rest like he was fanning himself because it was hot and handed the script back to me. He goes, okay, you've got the job. Okay. So he didn't, didn't even read it. He just said, yeah, that looks like a script. You've got the job. Right. Right. And I mean, sometimes, look, look, I'm glad you told that story because there's there's just so many variations of that that play out. You know what I mean? That kind of um, arrogant ignorance, you know, and um, but uh, yeah, so I think that the the screenwriting Right. The um, screenwriting thing is going to continue to be an uphill battle. I, I don't really want to get into AI discussion right now. I'm not sure if you do. I do have some thoughts well, on 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 AI, though. Robert Meyer Burnett, who I interviewed during uh, the podcast and Softly Days, has his own show, Observations, um, on YouTube. He spoke a little bit about it. I forget who he was talking with on his show about it i think it may have i think it may have been michael davis uh six degrees of of separation here the director of shoot em up uh and he said he, i think he was saying to michael that he he tried to to write to get it to write a script or something and he ended up having to mostly rewrite what it pumped out anyway so it didn't really save him a lot of time as far as he was concerned now, I personally haven't experimented with it, but, I mean, if that's the case, you type in, oh, hey, write me a script about, you know, three men and a donkey, uh, and it does, a comedy about three men and a donkey, and it does, and then you end up spending as much time as you would have done writing it yourself, rewriting what the AI... Thought. Well, I think, I think what... I think what the the main thing is that you you have to look at AI and you have to look at these Netflix original movies. Yeah. Because the Netflix original movies yeah. are many of them screenwriting wise 
are completely cynical copy and paste from other movies and they just mash it together Hmm. like and they also feel like 75 to to 80 percent of a movie a lot of the times yeah and so what so when i watch when i watch something like extraction 2 my thought is hasn't ai already won to a certain degree like if this is what like like if netflix is hiring writers to to write like ai how soon before ai just does it i mean and what's funny is that a lot of the writers that are on the picket lines were like posting about how much they loved extraction too (laughs) i was like and I was like, well, th- this is what's going to put you. I mean, if 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 people are going to to slobber over all of these Netflix originals hmm. that already feel like AI wrote them, yes. Like, how much longer do you think network like Netflix is going to put up with striking writers and just get AI to do it? Yeah. yeah. Especially if people. Are, are are watching those movies like you know i watched the um that one the mother with jennifer lopez that was another copy and paste thing with like no originality put on it mm-hmm. and um i just watched that gal gadot thing over the weekend okay. yeah, no, and uh and 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 you know by by the way i i just want to put it out there those are you know productions on a level that I, I don't produce movies at okay so when i'm criticizing or or making observations i'm not saying huh. i'm not saying it like i could show up in a golf cart and direct a 150 million dollar movie i i sure as hell could right <laughs> i only do that on weekends yeah 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 but but what i'm saying is that if the if the if they've already conditioned everybody to accept like the most base copy and paste assembly line stuff that AI is going to be doing. How is AI just not going to simply do it in time? Right. Um, so, and, and, and those, those movies put up huge numbers. Oh, sure. Right. And I mean, those movies put up, you know, a lot of numbers and they're, you know, Again, they're copy and paste. They feel like 75% to 80% of a movie. And so I just with the with the strike happening and this AI thing element, like I just feel as though I I I feel as though that is going to be the way of of the future. Like the way that, you know, like I don't know if you saw the uh, story where they had a a program that had an AI, like a program that created the animation, the script, did all the voices and everything for its own, like original South, South Park that episode. No, I haven't seen. I, I I have heard about it, but I have not seen it. And if you're already having AI produce like pitch perfect original Nirvana songs, yeah. Like if it's already doing that now, you're telling me AI can't write an extraction two by the end of uh, October? Yeah. No, I don't. You know what I mean, I don't. What are your 
What are your thoughts on that? I don't look. I don't. I don't doubt. I don't doubt it's. I don't doubt it's possible. Um, do I think? Do I think it's a? It, look, it's only good. It's only a good thing for the people. People who will profit off using it. You know, it's like right. Self, I- it's like self checkout in the supermarket. Right when we were kids, the supermarket was full of people running those checkouts. Now there's maybe one or two, and the rest of it's all you know. You just go through and scan it yourself, and out you go. Um, so yeah, look, it's is it good and convenient maybe for some people, but it costs other people on the other side of that. There's far less people, kids getting after school jobs, you know, working at the supermarket. Well, well, of course that's the of course that's the that's the drawback. But I mean, do you see? I, th- I, th- I think we can now all agree that those profiting from these things that displace workers, et cetera, absolutely don't care. They think it's their right to take oh, everything. Yeah. Bill, Cause they have, they have responsibility to the shareholders. Right. Right. And so I think that. So they don't care if we're as mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore. <laughs> right. Right. I think, so I think that you're going to have, I think that that's going to be a big thing. I think the other big trend that's coming around the, uh, well, that's happening right now, that's been happening since the pandemic. I think this actually started during the pandemic, but people didn't really realize it until a couple years removed from the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But the the repercussions of the oversaturation of the Marvel properties and the star Wars properties. Um, I think that definitely, you know, everybody's talking about that fatigue now, but um, I think it right now it's hitting an epoch. So I think that, I think that there, there's going to be, I think there's going to be some major changes in that that coupled with you know coupled with barbie coupled with the success of barbie the success of uh but oppenheimer you know what i mean i'm thinking you might see some you might see some different types of programming get out there that you wouldn't have seen before yeah and i think these studios might find that not only can they can they do stuff that's you know very very successful but it will also cost them less sure um and they they should they should take advantage of of this time in the industry to go ahead and 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 do that because as they've admitted like these these star wars movies and these marvel movies cost a bazillion dollars Hmm. and if they're no longer special right which they've you know, it's hard to really give uh, – what's their name? The folks at Disney, Bob Iger. Right, yeah. You know, I mean, since the guys – since he's come out in the press and, you know, been admitted that they made all these mistakes, it's hard to pile on them further. But they've admitted that they oversaturated the market, they made too many series, and they made it less special, right? Now – now you've actually you 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 see a lot of that, Kent. You and I have seen a lot of that yeah. through the ups and downs of the horror genre sure. through the years. Sure, sure. You know, um, like how many times have we seen the 
the cycle of horror movies taking themselves too seriously and then they do parodies, right? Yeah. And then they start they start doing serious ones again and then they get too serious and then the parodies come out again. You know what I mean? Like a lot of that stuff are um a lot of that is uh are 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 cycles that have you know always been there and I think to a certain degree will always be there. Like I think A24 has gotten to a point where it's time for a parody. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's time for another parody cycle since since the the art house A24 thing has kind of like run its course, you yeah. know? Yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Either that or they need to you know, see the way I see things going is 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 we need someone else to come along and make like another Easy Rider. Easy Rider kicked off a whole um, cuz cuz I was reading an article the other day saying that, that today there's a lack a lack of counterculture. Um, and well, well, let's talk about that. I'm glad you mentioned that. You know why there's a lack of of, of counterculture, Kent? It's because the place where the counterculture would be fostered yeah. is the independent film scene. Sure. And let me, and the independent film side of things is just as completely corrupted as the Hollywood side of things. Oh, isn't it just? Yeah. The, the Let me tell you, I'm going to preface this by saying that these people that I'm about to refer to have, have helped me and my career and my work in, in the past. Okay. So I'm going to put myself out there, sure. but I will say this, the same gatekeepers lording over the juries and stuff of all the, of like a lot of these film festivals. Yeah. They're the same people that were there in 2005. Okay. And it's 2023, and it's still the same group of people that are on the boards and are on the jury committees of of all of these film festivals. So, so you're who's gonna who's gonna let uh, that work that we need to 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 break through? Is it gonna be them? Yeah. No. They're just putting. They're just putting over their 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 same buddies that they have been for the last two and a half decades. Yeah, but isn't I that mean, the, isn't that really the secret to the film business? Now? A lot of people have asked me, like, since I managed to get a film out and you know had one come out on DVD, and they say, you know, what's the secret? And I said, look, I came to this reasonably late because I was probably a little bit too naive, but. At its simplest, this business is a mate's game. They all hire their bloody friends. Right. I mean, it is, there is a lot of, um, there is a lot of that. Yeah. And I'm glad, I'm, look, I'm glad you said that. And that's what we're, we're kind of talking about. But that's also why the growth is always going to be stunted. Yeah. That's why you're not getting those real voices, right? you're getting right you've got you've got children of extreme wealth that decide to either spend their time on the independent side of things or on the hollywood side of things that's basically what it is sure yeah you know what i mean yeah. they're the Sil sylvan you know sylvan dupree what you know sylvan dupree 
No, I've I've not I've not heard of that. The illustrator. He used to do boards for Ridley Scott and Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard of him. Yes, yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I thought you were referring to like a yeah, film so festival director. Sylvan, Sylvan was on the show a couple of times, and, and we actually talked about this once um, in a chat. And I was talking. He said, "Yeah, the real nature of Hollywood is what you were just talking about. You've got people or the children of of influence. They don't need to find agents and lawyers and and struggle. They their parents, you know, buy their you know they buy their way into anything." You know, and and when you've got cash to throw around, it's it's it is so much easier because you can get through, you can get past those gatekeepers pretty easily by you know. Shaking. But here's the here's the positive. Do you have a uh, how much time time do we have left? Oh yeah, we're good. We're still good. We're going. Yeah, keep going. All right, all right, all right. Here's the positive though. The positive, the upside is that the technology at this point has been so democratized sure. that if people want to scratch that itch, sure. they can scratch that itch and it doesn't cost that much money. True. You know what I mean? The new iPhones are regarded as professional cameras. Yeah. Right? If you if you're if you know what you're doing, like on simple like silver. Man, people didn't know that we shot that on an iPhone. Right. They were all asking. They all thought we shot it on a high-end, like, black magic camera. Right, yeah. And so, I mean, people people who have an iPhone, like, 13 Pro or whatever, like, um, they have a professional camera. Sure. Right? And so people can do – people can scratch that, scratch that itch of doing short films and doing all of these things themselves. Yeah. And that, that's how the average person can kind of still make their dreams come true and kind of bypass that whole side of it and tying, you know, tying this full circle or coming full circle to what I was talking about, you know, when, when we first started chatting is that they can go ahead and, do things, fulfill their dreams enough so that they don't succumb to bitterness and resentment. That's because true. there's too many, and I'm sure, I'm sure you know, um, you know, I'm sure you've encountered a lot of people in this business that are, you know, in their late 40s, 50s, yeah. that are extremely bitter yeah. and they're extremely, you know resentful now i'll be the first to tell you can't that you know i get extremely frustrated yeah okay i get extremely frustrated but i don't stay there no. i remember when the guy from um Sh- shoot him up was on your podcast and he was right. talking about how, how like when when he was in his 20s how he'd like go into fits of rage like trust me we've all been there yeah. you know what i mean we've all been there but you got to learn to grow out of it and like i was saying everybody has to make the game winnable for themselves. Right. Um, yeah. Bill, Bill Marsili gave me some great advice. Uh, Bill Marsili, one of the co-writers of uh, Deja Vu, Denzel Washington, Tony Scott. Um, oh, oh, I, I saw that for the first time like three years ago and I actually really dug that. But anyway, continue. Great, great disc. And Bill's commentary on it is really good too. Bill Marcelo, Terry, Terry Rossio, who he wrote the script with, is not on there. But Bill, um, who was the primary writer, Bill's, Bill's story is fascinating. I don't know if you listened to that. 
you know, I did with Bill Marsili, you should go back and have a listen to it if you did. He had, he had a wonderful, uh, wonderful story of, of, of resilience for a, for a screenwriter. But his advice was um, a lot of people say that, you know, success in the movie business is like being struck by lightning. And his advice was, well, just put yourself where the lightning strikes. Right. And I mean, you know, that's, that's a great point. That's a great line. And also, you know, make it, make the lightning yourself. Yeah. You know, I mean, I made, I've made a lot of my dreams come true, you know, and I just, I I just did it myself. Oh, totally. Yeah. You know, and, um, and, and, and look, everybody has certain, how do I say this? Everybody has certain things that are kind of like bucket list projects and, and things like that. So I, I want to talk about that for just a second, because, yeah. you know, I have a lot of things that I write just like you. Yeah. And for me, like they all have, they all have the same psychological value to right. me. Sure. But some of them are a 100 page screenplay that would, cost millions of dollars to make and other ones are like the girl from the burning house that like PSA that I show showed you that I got to do you know the girl from the burning house is something I wanted to get done for years right that was a very simple thing very easy thing to get done you know so I think that I've lucked out I'm going to say I've lucked out at first but I've lucked out in that a lot of my bucket list things, yeah. right? A lot of the things that I that like I just am burning up to get done for 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 myself, for my own personal legacy, right? Nice. Regardless of what anyone else thinks about me, right? Sure. Um, they're they're doable by myself. Yes. Like I can just make them happen. Right. So I'm done that part of of what I'm saying and now i'm going to move on to an advice thing to anyone who might hear this is that you know if you if you don't have bucket list projects of different shapes and sizes then you need to come up with some because if 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 your bucket list filmmaking or screenwriting dreams are all things that require the luck of winning the lottery and they require like millions and millions of dollars to get made like you're always gonna you're gonna be facing a lot of disappointment you know i mean surely i mean you know i encourage folks to have shorts that they want to get done Sure. music videos, all of those things that are like bucket lists that have just as much importance to them psychologically as getting one of those bigger things made. Yeah, totally. You know, because you have to you have to put yourself in a position, again, and you know, I'll always go back to this, you have to put yourself in a position where you have a chance at achieving your dreams that doesn't require you literally winning the equivalent of the lottery. Sure. Cause if you're, if you're counting on a billion to one shot, you know what I mean? And that's all you're going to, you know what I mean? You know what I'm getting at? No, totally. so, 
Totally. We, so, wish in one hand, shit in the other, and see which one fills up first. No, that's a great way of putting it. That's a great way of putting it, and that's <laughs> and, and that's really what you need to do. And it leads to it leads to people. Oh look, mate, yeah. Look, uh, uh, my, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to talk too much about myself, but I mean, my, um, my journey from from ten years ago. I mean, ten years ago, right now, I had no uh, connections in Hollywood. I'd given up screenwriting because I was pissed off at it, and I started writing books, and I sent. Uh, books that I wrote to publishers in Australia, the UK, and America. And the last little publisher on the list, this little tiny place called Strange House Books, published uh, a novella that I wrote. And I had which no- I, I bought that. Remember? Yes, alien, alien smart peddlers from the future. No, I didn't buy that oh, one. I bought one of the other one. ones. Yeah, I, I bought the Barbarian. Oh, okay. Right, cool, yeah. But uh, was, who would? What I, was that one called? What the first one? The first one was called Alien Smart Peddlers from the Future. No, I didn't buy that one. What was the other book called? I think you had three. Oh, Death, Death Master. Yes, yes, that's the one that I got. But anyway, continue, continue. But, yeah, but they were, um, yeah. So I mean, and who would have thought that that publishing that, uh, you know, nine nine years later, I'd be back. Uh, writing scripts again so I mean uh, I think I think also the the lesson in it too is that if you're meant to do something no matter which way you go you'll find your way back around because um, Tathagata Buddha the father Buddha says with our thoughts we make the world profound words Kent profound words I like it it's true Anyway, listen, Damien Lathy, it's been fantastic to talk to you on Cinema Yugen. Where can everyone listening go and find out about you on the website? Well, thanks for having me, Kent. Thanks for having me. Um, I am at uh, Damien K. Lathy on Facebook. Anybody can go ahead and send me a friend request there, Um, you know. And uh, we can go from there. But uh, I hope to do it again sometime. That was my guest, Damien K. Leahy. I'm Kent Hill, and this has been Cinema. You've been.